Thank you. Now, I've actually, uh, I've been to Ipswich once before. I grew up in Essex, wonderful county. And uh, I'm a man of faith because I support West Ham. So you can't be a man of sight when you support them. We came to, uh, I watched West Ham, they were playing Ipswich Town. It was torrential rain, horrendous weather, buckets of water falling down from the heavens. And I was sat near the front of the stand. It is the only football ground I've ever been in when the designer obviously forgot to build a stand that actually covered the seats. So we got covered. It was like someone throwing buckets of water over us. That's the memory I have of Ipswich. So uh, hopefully the roof won't start leaking in the church. It wasn't the same designer. So I heard, I heard this story of a guy called Robert. Okay, he was a, a single guy. His mum had died a few years previous. And he lived with his dad. His dad was a very wealthy man. And his dad was on his last legs. He had only a month or so to live. And his dad said to Robert, Robert, I'm about to pass away. It's not going to be good for you to be knocking around this big old house on your own. You need to go out and get yourself a wife. So Robert obeyed his dad. He went down to a local singles bar. Not suggested that's what you have to do. That's not what Tigger did. He went down to a local singles bar. He saw a woman who took his breath away. So he went up to this lady said, at the moment, I'm just an ordinary guy. But in a month or so, when my dad passes away, I'm going to inherit 20 million pounds. Would you like to come back to my house to meet my family, to meet my dad? So obviously this woman went back with him, met his dad. Four days, only four days later, this woman got married, but became his stepmom. She married his dad. <laughs> his dad passed away. She inherited the lot, and he didn't get a penny. Sometimes issues with money don't always turn out as we plan. Now, my focus today really is on verse 27, where Jesus said, it's impossible with man, but possible with God. Now, I am an evangelist, but I can't get away with being a typical evangelist and just doing one random verse out of context. I have to look at what the context is. So just briefly, obviously the context before is about money. Jesus talking to this rich young ruler. He says it's hard to enter the kingdom of God, and then they say, well, this is impossible. But did you know, Jesus told 38 parables, 16 were on money. 10% of the verses in the Gospels are to do with money. Obviously, we've just prayed. We know how important prayer is. The Bible is our spiritual manual. 500 verses in the Bible on prayer. There's over 2,000 verses in the Bible on money. Although we don't like to talk about it in the West, money is a big deal for God. And in verse 24 in your Bibles, you'll see there's the footnotes. The footnotes is down the bottom where I have a little letter like a C or an A. And that's where they're not sure from the manuscripts whether it included that or not. And in the footnotes, it says, those who trust in riches. So Jesus said how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now, just a bit of testimony. My wife and I, we live by faith. We've lived by faith for over 10 years. And we got married, so I was running a schools ministry in Sheffield at the church St. Thomas's that I think you're linked with, your missional communities. We're working there. I ran a schools ministry. She was a student. She earned pound fifty a week after she'd paid her bus fare. I earned 140 quid a month. And God would continually challenge us, even before we were married, do you trust in riches, even though you haven't got much? And whenever there was an opportunity for an offering, I'd be sat there, probably like your treasurer does, thinking, hang on, if there's 100 people here, we need a grand, that's only £10 each. So I need to give a tenner, God. And God would say, no, you need to give more than that. You need to give more than that. I said, God, I can't give more than that. I've got only 140 quid a month. 
But God would always test us to give more than we could afford. Now, I'm not talking prosperity gospel because I've had times when I'm skin, where I literally live off beans on toast. But when we got married, we earned enough money to buy a house that cost five grand. And you could actually buy a house in Sheffield 10 years ago, believe it or not, I should have done, what an investment, that cost five grand. They were a bit of a shack in an area you would not want to live. But that was all we could afford. But God proves to be faithful. We ended up with a brand new car and a brand new house. Still in a slightly dubious area, but brand new. God's provision. He says, if you seek first his kingdom, he will provide what you need. And I guess I've learned ever since then, it's not just a one-off. It's not, okay, God, I'm going to give you this cash. It's a continual journey of saying, God, I'm going to trust you with my finances. Just a little challenge. Do we trust in our money or God? It's easy to say we trust in God. We're in church. But where does our security come from? Where does our pride come from? Where does our fear come from? Where does our sense of accomplishment and achievement come from? Where do we put our priorities? And for me, what I've heard taught, and it's so true, to combat the love of money is to give it away. You know, the best way to drive a stake through the idolatry of money is to be outrageously generous. Now, Jesus himself said, it's more blessed than to receive. And all of us are called to be generous. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to be generous. He's been outrageously generous, bankrupt in heaven, giving more than he could by giving us his son. God wants us to be generous people, yes, with our time, yes, with our energy, but also with our cash. You don't have to be rich to be generous. Just like the widow who gave that tuppence. And Jesus said, actually, she's given far more than that guy who's given a whole stash of cash because it's your priorities. I heard this nice little story that money often comes between men and God. You can take two small one-penny pieces. That's about as much as Tigger earns. Two one-penny pieces, just two of them, and you can shut out a beautiful landscape. If you're standing where I live, near the Peak District, obviously it's a bit flat around it, which I don't know what you'd look at, the landscape of farmers' fields, the tractor boys, but you can go and look at a beautiful landscape and just two one-penny pieces near your eyes, you can't see anything. They shut off your vision of this beautiful vista. And it doesn't take large quantities of money. You don't have to be earning 100 grand, 200 grand, 300, 400. It doesn't take masses of money for money to come between you and me and God. Just a little money in the wrong position will obscure our vision. So the question we need to ask ourselves, just on this little introduction, is not how much of my money should I use for God. And I'm saying this to myself, it's a continual challenge. How much of God's money should I keep for myself? So the money you've been given, not how much of that should you give to God. Oh, I've given my 10%. Oh, how much more shall I give? But out of the cash you've got, your resources, that's God's money. And the question is to be, how much should I keep for myself? When I've done the little money intro, I don't like talking about money either. Don't worry. I'm not a televangelist. I hate talking about money. But I can't talk on a passage that is about money without mentioning it. But verse 27, that's what I really want to talk about. Impossible. Well, they come to Jesus and they say, who on earth can be saved? Verse 26 to 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Who can be saved? You know, as we go out and do outreach, as we sometimes see hundreds of people, sometimes see a few people, sometimes see thousands of people, and I'm crying out with the team beforehand, God, save souls. As I'm crying out for my friends who aren't yet Christians, 
fasting and praying, God, would you save them? It's impossible for me to make it happen. It's impossible for you to save your friends. Now, you can be the loveliest Christian. You can be the most anointed communicator, the best evangelist ever. You can be so full of God's love, it flows out of your ears and your nostrils, that when you sneeze, God's love just pours out on people. You can be the most holiest Christian ever, but you still can't save anyone. You and me cannot save a single soul. That's not your job. Jesus came 2,000 years ago to save sinners. With God it's possible. He came to save them. The Holy Spirit says in the Scriptures, His job is to convict the world of sin. I have to remind our guys, that's not our job. Although my little boy may try and do it to his friends on the way home from school, we don't have to pin people against the wall. Trust me, he's done that. You don't have to pin people against the wall and say, but I need to, you need to become a Christian. It's not our job to convict people of sin. That's God's job. But our job is to step out, to be those people who sow those seeds that it talks about in Mark chapter 4, to share the message of God with people, to live that life out so they've got the opportunity. The saving part is down to God. And what I love about this statement, with man it's impossible but not with God, is that very statement, impossible, when spoken from God's point of view, says, I'm possible. You know, if you're sat here today, and maybe you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't know Jesus in the way the Bible talks about. You know, the tragedy is I come across lots of people in churches who've been in churches a long time. They believe in Jesus. They maybe read the Bible, maybe pray a bit, but they don't know Jesus the way the Bible says you need to know Jesus. They haven't turned their lives around from doing their own thing to choosing to go God's way. So being a Christian is not an add-on. It's not like you've got your house and you build a conservatory. Oh, I'll add the God thing on, but I'm still in charge. Being a Christian is turning around, repenting. That's what the word means. Turning around and saying, God, I'm choosing to follow you with my whole heart. You are number one in my life. You are the boss of my life from now on. It's as if you demolish your house and God says, I'm going to build it up from scratch. So you can be sat in this church and Jesus for you is maybe just like a conservatory you've added on your life. You cannot save yourself by coming to church. Just like going to McDonald's. Trust us, me and Tigger have tried this. Going to McDonald's lots will not turn you into a Big Mac. It will give you a physique like maybe one of us has. I'm not saying who. It's all right, I breathe in a lot. It will not turn you into a Big Mac. It's not good for you. But being a Christian is not from hanging around church. It's not from hanging around Christians. To be a Christian is to put Jesus as number one in your life. A Christian literally means to be a follower of Jesus. So only God can save you. Only God can make you right with himself. That's the very reason that Jesus came to this earth. He said he came to seek and save those who were lost. So many people stumble over Jesus' death and resurrection. They believe someone called Jesus existed, believe he did miracles, or maybe that was a nice miracle like I did a magic trick. Maybe that's how Jesus turned water into wine. Maybe he put some rocks in the sea so he could walk on the water. Maybe the guy wasn't actually dead, he just kind of fainted in a coma, and Jesus shouted and woke him up. So maybe Jesus, he was kind of a nice guy, said some good things, But actually, the stumbling block is Jesus' death and resurrection. You cannot get to God by your own hard work. 
You can't get to God by being a goody two-shoes, by coming to church, by giving all your money away, by being a nice person. The only way you and me can get to God is because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Believing that he's taken your mess on himself so you can be forgiven. You know, I would hate it if there's anyone in this church today who doesn't really know Jesus and left here in the same position. The Bible says today is the day to get right with God. If you know that you are not right with God, you can pull the wool over everyone else's eyes, but God knows the real deal. Today in your heart, choose to say yes to Jesus. Choose to turn around to give God your whole life. I did that when I was 16 on my birthday. My only regret is I didn't do it earlier. It's flipping difficult being a Christian. It is not easy. But you know what? With Jesus as number one in your heart, you know that you're forgiven. You know, like Andrew said earlier during the worship, it's eternal life that starts now. That relationship with God. The way your life maybe has no hope, God says, I give you hope. Where you feel lonely and empty, God says, I will come in and be your friend. Where you've got sadness and pain, God says, I will give you my joy and my healing. Where your life has no purpose, God says, I have a plan for you that no one else can do but you. Where you feel unloved and your family have said you're a mistake, you're nothing. God says you are unique. There is no one else like you. There is no one else with your DNA. No one else with your fingerprint. You are special to me. So much so that he loved you enough to give his own son. So I don't understand why anyone would not accept Jesus. Everywhere we go, I say, why on earth would you not accept him? When you can go from a life of misery and pain here on earth to having a living relationship with God himself who created the universe, living in your heart. See, eternal life doesn't just start when you die. Being a Christian is not just a ticket to heaven. Eternal life starts when God comes and lives in your heart, right here, right now. And if you do not know Jesus, this morning make that decision to say yes to him. Even now, as I carry on talking about other things, just in your heart, say, God, I do want to choose to follow you wholeheartedly. Forgive me where I haven't. Forgive me maybe where you have been a Christian and you've turned for him. Where you've never accepted him maybe. In your heart, say, God, I choose to want to follow you. And for those of you that are born again, that's not an Americanism, by the way. Jesus did say, you have to be born again on the inside. You can't get to heaven. You can't become a living relationship with God unless you have that new birth on the inside, that living relationship, that connection with God. I want to ask you, what impossibilities are you facing? You know, you can't be a Christian and not pray. And I don't think you can be a Christian if you haven't got impossibilities in your life. If you don't have impossibilities in your life, you don't need God. If everything is the way you want it to be, if you've got a comfortable life as a Christian, a charmed life, nothing that you need God to answer your prayers from, why are you even a Christian? Because you don't need God. You just have all the bad stuff. Of life being hard. All of us should have impossibilities in our life as a follower of Jesus where we need him to break through. Maybe your impossibility is family members who aren't yet saved. Maybe your impossibility is to do with your finances. Maybe your impossibility is stepping out in boldness with your work colleagues, with your neighbors, and talking about Jesus. You know what? Church never saved anyone. The word Christian never saved anyone. 
That's why we're not called make church known, make Christians known. It's make Jesus known. You can be at work. Well, I did some witnessing today. Did you? What did you say? I went to church. That's brilliant. That's a fantastic start. But you need to talk about who the person of Jesus is. Maybe that's your impossibility, to have that boldness. Maybe your impossibility is stepping out and praying for people who are sick. We can pray it corporately. Oh, God, heal the people who are sick. But in the Bible, Jesus says, lay your hands on the sick and command them to be healed. Maybe that's an impossibility you are facing. You know, Jesus himself said in Luke 18, 8, when he comes back, you never know when that is. That might be tonight. It might be tomorrow. It might not be for a long time. He said, when I come back, will I find faith? You know what? You don't need faith if you haven't got any impossibilities. If your life is purely possible, you don't need any faith. But if you are facing impossibilities, you need faith, which obviously Hebrews 11 says, faith is the confidence that what you hope for will actually happen. It gives you assurance about things we cannot see, that what you can't see will actually happen, that those impossibilities will become possible. Now, I think the key here, Jesus said, all things are possible with God. And that's the key two words, with God. Those impossibilities you are facing with your family members who aren't saved, with your finances, with being bold about your faith, with praying for the sick, whatever your impossibility, are you doing it with God? If you try to do it in your own strength, it's going to remain impossible. But the key is with God. All throughout the Bible, as I looked at this, there are passages of God doing the impossible. Right at the word go in Genesis, Abraham and Sarah, you all know the story. God promised them a baby, more than a baby, a whole nation through them, as many sands on the seashore as you see in Lowestoft, or as many stars in the sky. God said, that's what you're going to have. And they were old, man. They were like even older than Andrew. (laughs) He's 50 today. They were way past that. Happy birthday. I'm not going to sing, don't worry. (laughs) They were way past that. They were like way past pension age. It was impossible. And God says in Genesis 18, when they're like, no, this is impossible, God. I think you've gone on cloud cuckoo. You've got us confused with someone else. God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, Abraham and Sarah, what did they do? Tried to do it in their own strength. Abraham got Hagar pregnant, ended up with Ishmael, messed the whole thing up. But God still came through and provided. But for you and me, are we trying to solve our impossibilities in our own strength? Or are we doing it with God, trusting him? Have we learned to die to ourselves, like the Bible says? That we no longer live, but God lives in us. That like John the Baptist said, I must decrease so God can increase. You flip forward to Numbers. Not a popular book unless you're an accountant. Numbers 11. The Israelites complained to Moses about food. They're saying, we're hungry. Does anyone here ever get hungry? Some people don't. They were hungry. They were in the desert. If you've ever been to the desert... You will get hungry. They complained. complained, And Moses is like, God, what are we going to do? I've got over 600,000 people here. I don't know how many people live in Ipswich. 600,000 people is a lot of people. Moses says, God, what are we going to do? There's no food. We're in a desert. There's no Tesco's here. There's no big catering establishment. God says, I will provide the food. Moses didn't believe him. But what happened? Every day, God provided the food. Flick forward to the New Testament. Gabriel, the angel, turns up to Mary. She's a young virgin, probably about 14 years old, and says, you are going to have God's son as a baby. She says, what are you on about? Paraphrased. 
What are you on about? I'm a virgin. And he says, nothing is impossible for God. In Mark chapter 9, a man says, have mercy on me. Help me, Jesus, if you can. Maybe in your impossibility, that's what you're feeling. God, would you help me if you can? Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? What do you mean if I can help you in your impossibility? Anything is possible if a person believes. So the key is believing with God it is possible to achieve the impossible. And my experience is those impossibilities through Jesus flip on their heads and say, I'm possible. If we go out of this place believing God is at work, that God wants to move in power, he's drawing people to himself, we will see those impossibilities say, I'm possible. Last weekend we were out in Manchester and actually it wasn't raining or snowing, which is like Manchester is like a tropical sunny day. If you've ever been to Manchester, if it's like grey clouds, it's like get your shorts on, get your factor 15 on, this is amazing. So we were out in Manchester city centre and as we were setting up, so we have a big Jesus Manchester banner, the guys are out and it's just about Jesus, Manchester, because we're in Manchester, giving out flyers to people and as they're setting up the PA, Tigger's doing his thing, plugging in wires, I don't really know what he's doing, plugging it in, setting the generator up, this guy comes over to me and says, what are you doing? So I think, well, I'm not going to hold back. I tell him that we're here about Jesus. We're Christians. We believe that God loves you, that God's got a plan for your life. It's no accident you're here, that God wants to have a relationship with you. Do you know anything about God? He said, no, I've never known anything about God. I don't know any Christian friends. I said, well, hang around. We'll do some music. Enjoy the music. Tigger jumping up and down, looking like a wally brain. Have a good laugh. I'm joking. <laughs> Enjoy the music. Have some fun. And you'll hear us talk about Jesus. So he sat around on one of the benches amidst the crowd. I don't know, 100, 200 people. And we did our little set, did a little talk, and then we played some music before we went back on. And he came over to me. His name was David. And he said, you're going to think I'm really weird. I'm thinking, oh no, what's he going to do now? <laughs> Could you do me some characters? He said, you're going to think I'm really weird. He said, for the last four or five months, I've been seeing the numbers 136 everywhere. And I thought, oh no, it's a Da Vinci code or some weirdo. <laughs> what am I going to do? He's like, I've been seeing the numbers 136 everywhere. He said, every time I go to the bus station, the 136 comes past. Every time I read the newspaper or on the TV or on billboards or phone numbers. He's like, for months, I just keep seeing this 136. I think I'm going crazy. He said, and then when you were just talking about Jesus, when you stopped and talked about Jesus in that song, I looked and it was 1.36 p.m. And I almost started crying. I feel this funny feeling. What's happening? What's going on? God is at work in people's lives. I was able to share with David, God has obviously been working through a bizarre way that I would never think of, but that's God's way, to get your attention for months. So you know that God is real, that he's drawing you in. But you have to step out. You have to believe that the impossible is possible. And now a few weeks before that, just before Christmas, I was at home preparing for a talk. And I'd done the talk. I was thinking, God, I really want you to move in power and use me today. I don't just want to drive to the office and have to be around Tigger. It's all right. Rudeness is a sign of friendship. I heard C.S. Lewis apparently write that in a twisted way. <laughs> so the ruder I am to him means the more I like him. I think I don't just want to go to the office and prepare songs and come up with ideas for the app. God, I want someone to encounter you through me today. Because I'd just been at home. I'd wrestled me kids. One of them had gone off to school. The other one at preschool. The other one was crying downstairs with mum because he wanted daddy and I was trying to do this talk. I thought, God, I want someone to encounter you through me today. 
So I drove to the office. The fuel light came on in the car. The one that you can't really miss outside. It's great now. If we lose it in a car park, I can find it straight away. I'll just look for the Jesus car. So I was driving along, the fuel light came on, so obviously I pull into the petrol station, putting fuel in, I'm like, God, you want to use me. God, I believe absolutely, and I can be a big mouth. You put me on a stage, I am at ease. That's where God's put me, that's my pulpit. But put me one-on-one, I find it just as difficult as you to talk about Jesus, to share words of knowledge, to pray for the sick. And I was there saying, okay, God, you want to use me today. I filled up with diesel, there was no one else at the petrol station. I walked into the kiosk, as I walked in, in this spiritual mindset, God, you're going to use me. You're going to see something happen. World War III, I've never seen anything like it, was taking place. The guy and the woman behind the counter, welcome to Oldham, they were tearing into each other. I'm talking proper off the Richter scale. Will you bleep, 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 bleep? I you stuff your bleeping job where you can F bleep, bleep, bleep. I'm thinking, oh my. So I'm just stood there in shock. They were tearing in for a good two, three minutes. I kind of slowly walked to the counter Hello, there's a customer here. I'm not sure this is in the Shell training guide. <laughs> they obviously realize there's a customer there. So then they walk around the back behind the wall, thinking because I can't see them, I can't hear them. And they carry on. For like another two, three minutes, I thought it was going to end in fisticuffs. They, I've never seen anyone go that crazy. I used to live in an inner city part of Manchester, and I saw some things. People chasing each other with baseball bats, but I'd never seen anyone shouting like they were shouting each other. So I'm stood there by the counter thinking, okay, God, what's the deal? I thought this was you were going to use me to do something. Okay, what does it look like to bring your kingdom here, God? Then the woman comes in, because they've had a lull, they're having a five-minute break from their argument. She comes in, and she is so in shock that she's physically shaking. I don't know if you've ever seen someone that in shock that they're just, uh, what number? So obviously I'll tell her what number I am, number four or whatever was in the pump, and she's putting it in. And there's no one else in the shop. So I said, it's okay, don't panic, just take your time. Just take a deep breath, deep breath, peace in. Obviously, I'm praying, God, that's your peace. Deep breath of peace in and just breathe the stress out. Just calm down, just take it easy. She's probably, I don't know, in her late 40s, she looks like she's had a hard life. If you know what I mean by that. She's not had an easy life by the looks of it. The guy then comes back in. And they start having some other argy-bargy about move out of the way, I want this, oh, bleep, bleep to you, bleep, bleep to you. I'm saying, just okay, just calm down. And obviously, I'm in that mindset of thinking, okay, God, her name's Tracy or something on her badge. I'm thinking, God, what do you want to say to Tracy? You want to use me to say something to her in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of all this mess like that bowl. You want to use me to say something to her. So I don't know if you've ever been in that realm where you're physically there, but spiritually it's like you're trying to pray. I don't know if you've ever felt that. So I was obviously trying to pray. I said, God, what do you want to do? She's asking me for the mileage of the car because it's got a fuel card. So I was like, 14318, blah, blah, blah. She's there typing in. And I've obviously been overly nice because I think I'm not going to just go in for the jugular and straight away walk into this kiosk in the middle of their argument. It's okay, John 3, 16, Romans 3, 23, 1 John 4, 8, Hezekiah 5, 3, Malachi 7, 2. I'm going to be overly nice to try and warm them up a bit, because I'm not very good at this, Lord. I'll warm them up a bit and be really nice, smiley, funny, it's okay, can't. I'll be really nice, and then I'll go in and bang, give them the God bit. So she's there, and I'm being really nice to her. There's no one else in the shop. And I'm praying, and then she kind of says, that number. And because I'm praying, trying to listen to God, what do you want to say through me to this woman? 
I can't really hear what she says, and she kind of mumbles it, and the other guy, she's had the argument, he stood there behind us, and she fumbles his paper and pen and puts it down and says, your number. I'm like, what do you mean, number? God, what did you want to say? What do you mean, number? God, what did you want to say to this person? God, Tracy, what is it? Let me just tune in. She's like, give me a number. Now, she must have thought I was the thickest person. She was obviously very flattered. I may not be the best looker, but she was in her late 40s, early 50s, a hard life. She obviously thought she'd pulled. She obviously thought, very flattered, but I was in tune, as it were, with God. She obviously thought I was really dopey. I was like, what do you mean? You want, what do you want my number for? Why would you want my number? And I said, Tracy. And by this point, another guy coming to the petrol station stood behind me. I said, Tracy, I'm a Christian. I'm not here trying to pull you. I really believe that God says he loves you. He knows about the hardship in your life. He's got a plan for your life. He wants you to know him. Now, I would love it if she fell on the floor in repentance and started crying. But actually what she did, I may as well have just called her the ugliest, fattest woman on earth. She pulled that pen and paper back. She realized I wasn't giving her my number. She said an expletive, completely blanked me and said to the guy behind, next. I walked out of that petrol station thinking, Lord, I thought I was empowered. I thought I was going to see this amazing thing happen. In this impossibility of my fear, I stepped out. And I had two choices. I either could have got back in the car, driven off to work, and thought, I'm never doing that again. What a waste of time. I tried to talk about you, God, in this chaos, and someone thought I was chatting them up. What an insult. Or I just laughed. So I decided just to laugh about it. I thought, God, you've got a really funny sense of humor. That in the midst of all this chaos, this woman thought I was trying to chat her up. Obviously, I'd sowed something. I'd shared a little nugget of God with her. But for you, in your impossibility... When you share Jesus, your life as a Christian with people at work, and they mock you. When you invite someone to a church barbecue or an event, your neighbours, and they say no. When you pray for someone who's sick. When I pray for people who are sick, and nothing happens. Other times, I've prayed for someone who's sick. We're in a school, they're asking us to pray for healing. A girl with flat feet, her whole life, in agony, on her knees, prayed in the name of Jesus, commanded it to go. Instantly, her ankles, her ankles, her fleet, grew arches in her feet. She was like, what on earth have you done to me? I said, I haven't done anything, but I know who I was. I was as shocked as her. <laughs> and all her friends straight away knew that God is real. When we were in Poland, prayed with someone who had twisted ribs for seven years, problem with her ribs. The doctors couldn't do anything. We commanded it to go in Jesus' name. She went off, came back crying, and thought, oh no, what have I done? But she was crying because she said, what has happened? This rib I can feel has straightened. God has healed me. So when you face those impossibilities, as you step out, because you know what, there is no higher plane. The apostles, although they saw amazing things in the Bible, they would have prayed for people and things did not always happen. As you step out, as you pray for the sick, as you share the love of God with your family, as you pray for your family members to get to know Jesus, if it doesn't always happen the way you want, like me in the petrol station, you either give up or you say, well, you know what, I'm with you, God. I'm believing you and your word that the impossible is possible that I'm stepping out. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to roll over and play dead. I'm going to do it again and keep doing it again and keep doing it again. And I found that even though I have these discouragements, even though things don't always work out the way I wish they would, it's choosing to say, God, I believe the impossible is possible with you. The impossible, the biggest impossibility of saving a lost person is possible with you, God. But also the impossibility of praying for someone sick to get healed instantly is possible with you. The impossibility of you giving me the boldness to talk to my work colleagues and my neighbours about you 
is possible through you, God. And he's having that attitude of saying, God, I'm going to keep on believing until you do the impossible. You know, Jesus, the very last thing he said in Matthew's Gospel, I am with you always. God says to you, I am with you. If we can get our head around the fact that God says, I am with you. Not just here in church, but when your knees are quaking, and you're thinking, how on earth am I going to talk about Jesus to this person who I've been praying for for 20 years? Lord, I don't know what to do. Send, uh, send uh, Simon. He can come. He can come and tell them he's the minister. No, God says you're there. When you think, God, what am I going to do? Knowing that God says, I'm with you. If I will get that in my stupid brain, if we will all get it in our, maybe your more intelligent brain, that God says, I am with you, then we will turn this world upside down. You will turn Ipswich upside down. Miracles will start happening like that. Lost people will be getting saved like that. As we realize that God says, I am with you, the impossible is possible. So today, I think there's really two groups of people in here. There are those of you who are not in a living relationship with Jesus, like I said at the start. Don't ignore God's voice. If God is knocking on the door to your heart, if you can feel those butterflies inside, that's not because you're hungry, that's not dodgy food, that's God speaking to you. If you can feel that tingling of God on your case, he knows your name, he knows all about you, he loves you, he wants you in a living relationship with him. If God is knocking on the door to your heart, don't ignore the knock of God. Now, if someone rings you up, it's rude to ignore them. If God is speaking to you, don't ignore him. Open up and choose to let him in, to have full control of your life. And the second group, those of us that are Christians, that are followers of Jesus, to step out like Peter stepped out of the boat. He didn't just stay in the boat, he had to get out. To believe that the impossible is possible with God. That he wants to save your friends, your family, your colleagues that don't know Jesus. So don't just believe it, but act on it. Live it out. Expect it to happen. Act and live in such a way that what he says in the Bible is going to happen. That your impossibilities are an opportunity for God to say, I'm possible, and you just share that encouragement and testimony with those around you. So just in finishing, I'd love to just pray, if that's okay. And if you're in that first group of people that you're not yet a Christian... As I'm praying, just in your heart, you don't need me to pray for you. There's no special words you have to pray. It's just in your heart saying, God, I want to choose to be with you. I want you to be number one in my heart. Just pray that in your own heart and then talk to someone afterwards. I'll pray for the rest of us. Jesus, thank you. You are so good to us. You are so good where it is impossible for us to get right with you. Thank you that you have made it possible. Thank you, Jesus, that you have made it possible for us to have a living relationship with you, the creator of the universe, God living inside us. Holy Spirit, those of us here that don't know you, I pray that we would say yes to you today. That joy of salvation, of knowing we're forgiven, knowing we've got that connection with God today. But those of us that are your followers Lord, help us to know that you say, I am with you always. There is nowhere we can go that you are not there, Lord God. Help us to know that with you the impossible becomes possible. 
Help us to step out of the boat as we leave this church building. That's where it really begins, Lord God. As we leave here at quarter past 12, as we step out, as we go back into the world, help us to believe it is possible with you because you are with us that you can turn that dirty, filthy world back into the clean world by using us to change people who are trapped in sin to be set free. That those who are sick, when we lay our hands on them, they will be healed. That those financial struggles we're facing, with you, you'll provide a way out. Because if we seek first your kingdom, all will be given to us. Lord God, thank you that you are with us. Remind us every day that you are with us. We love you, Lord God. And all God's people said, Amen.